All right, well, good morning. Um, my name is AJ. I'm not Zach. Uh, just to let you guys know, this is how it works here. So I, got a, I was texting Zach about some stuff. Uh, you know, he's supposed to go to Israel. That didn't happen. And so I was like, uh, Sunday afternoon, right before Fuse, I'm like, hey, man, I'm like, am I still preaching the next couple weeks? Because you know you're not going to Israel. What's the plan? And I got a text back. He said, I'm going south for two weeks. Now, I don't know if you know where he's at right now, but he's in Mexico, so him and a buddy just decided to drive down there, and uh, they, I mean, he didn't lie. They went south, so that's where he's at right now, but you guys should, like, pray for safety. I don't know. Hopefully, he'll be all right getting back, but uh, anyway, so, hey, but uh, yeah, glad to, to jump back in tonight, Life of David. Uh, it's been a super cool, really, study that we've looked at, looking at his life. Um, we've talked about him and how he was, you know, a few weeks ago, talked about him being anointed as king. Uh, he's, you know, getting ready to be the king, but Samuel anoints him beforehand, and then you got the story of David and Goliath, a classic, right? And so uh, that's leading up to kind of what we've been talking about the past couple weeks. That's where we've been at. But uh, what we're going to talk about today, man, uh, the one we're going to, the issue we're going to talk about with David today, um, he almost messes up big time. Uh, the struggle that he face, is, is going to face, really come face to face with in 1 Samuel chapter 25, which is where we're going to be, it's one that I think every single person, Christian, not Christian, has had to deal with at some point in their life. And I, I would even go on to say this. It's one that I feel like most people, Christians included, non-believers, everyone, that we can rationalize, we can justify doing this. And so what we're going to be looking at today, it's the idea of when somebody does you wrong, you get them back. When somebody hurts you, you hurt them back. Another word for it is what? Revenge, right? And so we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning, getting revenge, and again, I think if we're all honest, and I'm, my hand included, all right, I'm throwing my hand up in the air, but I, every single one of us has struggled with this at some point in their life. Someone's hurt you, or maybe they've hurt, even worse, a loved one that you're close to. And so you use that one verse that you rip out of context, Exodus 21, 24, where it says, hey, an eye for an eye, it's in the Bible, man, I can get revenge. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, or maybe, maybe, you offer that as counsel to another friend that's a believer. Hey, man, they did you wrong. Get them back. It's okay. Eye for an eye, man. You got to make it even. So we justify maybe doing something that's completely foolish and stupid that leads us to sin. Maybe get in a fight or you hurt someone in another way. Maybe you're just gossiping about them. What I have to think about is that is a dangerous thing to do. We have literally people that are sitting on death row right now that are, some people are facing life in prison, all for that one little word, revenge. They want to get revenge on somebody that did them wrong. Now, a question that I want you guys to think about as we kind of wrestle through this topic of revenge this morning is this, really a couple questions. Why do you want to get even? Especially if they've done you wrong. I mean, we probably don't even like them if they continue to do wrong on us. So why do we want to get, why do we want to get even with them? I mean, do you really want to be like someone that you don't like? Do you really want to get on their level? So that's what we're going to break down is David has this issue where he wants to get revenge on someone. So we'll talk about that a little bit here. But how, how this message is going to work is this. 
There's a lot of verses we've got to cover First Samuel 25. So we're, we're going to focus on the first part of the message is going to be focused on like setting the context, setting the scene. And then the last part of the message is going to be on really dealing with revenge in your life and how we can get victory over that. So, all right, to kick things off this morning, again, to get a little bit of a climate, what's going on in the life of David? We've got to rewind to last week. A lot of things have happened. Uh, last week, he's in the desert of En Gedi. Uh, he's sheltered there. He's running from Saul, and he finds himself jumping cave to cave to cave, and he goes in this one cave, and it just so happens that Saul goes in there to relieve himself, and Zach talked about that last week, and so we're good. <laughs> and as he's in there, David's men, they tell him, hey, man, this is your chance. Dude. You're going to be the next king. Take him out, dude. This is your chance to, this is your chance to, to take him out, man. You'll be king. Like, Judah's yours. Israel's yours. But what does he do? David wisely chooses not to do that. He cuts off a part of the end of Saul's robe. He feels bad about it. And as Saul's exiting the cave, David comes to him and he bows down to him. And he calls him father. Yes, he was his father-in-law, but it was also... It was also a way of him saying, like, I respect the king position that you hold. In that moment, David chooses to let God take control over removing Saul. Because God has anointed him and is not in his place to take out Saul. I mean, this whole story we talked about last week, I mean, it kind of ties in with even today. David has the opportunity to get revenge on Saul and he chooses not to. I mean, let's just, if we're honest, I mean, if we're in his shoes, I, I would be thinking, hey, this guy's trying to kill me. He's throwing swords and spears at me. He's got hunting, guys out here hunting me down, thousands of different soldiers looking for me all over, this, all over this wilderness. I would think, hey, this is God giving me opportunity to go ahead and, man, to take him out. That's not what David does. He lets God take care of Saul, which was the right thing to do. After last week, we learned that Saul leaves the cave, and then David and his men, they go back to that little spring in En their temporary home, and they wait there. So, in the life of David, this is where we pick up 1 Samuel 25, verse 1. It says this, Samuel died, and all Israel assembled to mourn for him, and they buried him by his home in Ramah. David then went down to the wilderness of Paran. Verse 1 opens up with the passing of the last prophet and judge, who is Samuel. Now, it's, it's kind of interesting. Samuel's like this great leader, this spiritual counselor in Israel uh, for, for God's people, and he gets like half of a verse. It's just kind of weird. Like, this is his obituary. Samuel died, and all Israel assembled to mourn for him, and they buried him by his home in Ramah. Boom, done. That's it, okay? This guy's a great dude. He's done a lot for God. He anointed, obviously, David to be the next king. So the, the nation, they mourn. All right, then the verse goes on. The end of the verse tells us that David goes to the wilderness of Paran, which is the most isolated location within his homeland. Again, he's running or he's hiding from Saul. You guys want to see it? There's a picture up here. All right, it looks very similar to a lot of pictures that we've looked at. Uh, last week, Zach showed some, but this is where he's at. Doesn't look too great. Looks like a tough place to live, but this is where he's at. Again, not a lot of food can probably be found there. Not a lot of water, which has a lot to do with our story today that we're going to look at. The text that we're going to study today has three people. First um, Samuel 25, a lot of guys have referenced it as the beauty and the beast of the Bible, but there's not a good ending for the beast. Now, the beauty of First Samuel chapter 25, 
is a lady by the name of Abigail. Her husband is the beast. His name is Nabal, all right? And then obviously our last character is David in the story we're gonna look at. And so let's go ahead, let's check it out. First, or verses two and three, it says this. A man in Maon had a business in Carmel. He was a very rich man with 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And this is important to understand for this story. And he was, and was shearing his sheep in Carmel. So he's doing a sheep shearing thing. Verse three, the man's name was Nabal and his wife's name, Abigail. The woman was intelligent and beautiful, but the man, he was a Calebite. He was harsh and evil in his dealings. Now, we'll talk a little bit about Nabal just for a second here, okay? It's believed that our first character, Nabal, um, it's, it's believed that that actually was not his name that was given to him at birth. Uh, the word, uh, the name Nabal, which actually Abigail talks about this a little later, it means fool or stupid one. And uh, I don't know any parent that would name their infant stupid one or fool. Um, maybe when they're a teenager, I don't know, mom, if I could qualify for that. I'm sure I, you wanted to call me Nabal at some point when I was a teenager. But as you can see in just that, the little bit of what it said about him, it's not good. He was a pain. People didn't like this guy. And in this story, I'm telling you, he lives up to his reputation. Verse number two tells us a couple more things about him. He's rich, has a lot of sheep. And again, it is the sheep shearing season. Now, sheep shearing was a time of festivity. Um, it was a time of fun. It was a time of a lot of work as they shear all the sheep down, they sold it. Um, part of the norm that a guy in his position would do that had a lot of sheep and during this season, when the shearing would happen, to, as a way really to show gratitude to God and thanks to God that he owns everything, uh, which is a good thing, sheep shears, they would, I mean, they'd have people from the entire town come over and they would throw this massive elaborate party and uh, people would be working, but for days, weeks maybe, people would be partying, having fun, having a good time. And uh, again, the whole focus was, Whoever that sheep shear was, it was his way of like praising God and saying, God, thank you so much for allowing me to be able to do this and be able to make this money and support, you know, my family or whatever. So it was a big deal. It was huge. There was always a ton of food, always a ton of food. So plenty of food to go around. Now, that's Nabal. Let's look at Abigail for a second. She was a woman of good understanding. She's just downright, she has a heart of gold, right? She's a great person. Uh, she's beautiful in appearance. Now, it's probably the greatest example in the scripture of a, of a love story relationship where opposites attract, right? You guys like have heard that before, okay? She's great, she's solid, she's good, she's, you know, but he's kind of an idiot. I mean, he's not good. Now, you're probably thinking, okay, what does opposites attract all have to do with getting revenge? Okay, we're getting there, I promise you that, all right? Now remember, we still have our third character, David. He's in the wilderness with the 600 men. David, he's been running from King Saul and the Philistines, again, going cave to cave to cave, and this is where we pick up in our story. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David, he sent 10 young men, instructing them, okay, so what you're going to do, you're going to go to Nabal and his guys, you're going to tell them, go up to Carmel, and when you come to Nabal, greet him in my name, and say this, long life to you, and peace to you, peace to your family, and peace to all that is yours. I hear that you're shearing. When your shepherds were with us, we didn't harass them, and nothing of theirs was missing the whole time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and then they'll tell you. So let your young men find favor with you, for we have come on a feast day. Please give us whatever you have on your hand to your servants and to your son, David. 
See, David, he knew, again, this was a festive time of year, and he knew who Nabal was. He knew his guys. He saw them out in the wilderness. He knows it's sheep shearing season. He knows there's a ton of food there. Think about this. That picture I showed you a little bit ago, they're in that wilderness, just like not a lot of water, not a lot of food. And so they got close to where Nabal was. They decided, hey, we're going to go down. I'm going to send my guys down, 10 of my young guys, go make this request, and let's see what happens. They're hungry. They're deprived. Again, running from Saul. David makes this ask, but he's not just asking for no reason if you caught it in those verses. David says a couple of things. He says, hey, we'd, we'd like you to give us some food and, and take care of us, some water maybe. Um, I just want to remind you of a couple of things, Nabal. Okay, number one, uh, there are multiple times that we were out in the wilderness together with your guys, with your shepherds. I got 600 warriors and we were hungry and we never stole from you, not one time. Then he also says, secondly, more importantly, he says, actually there are different times. We'll find this out in a little bit from one of Nabal's, uh, one of his, his workers, his shepherds. But there are different times that David's men had actually stepped in and saved and defended Nabal's possessions, his sheep, and his shepherds. There were known to be bands of outlaws that would come to these shepherds in the countryside, typically a few shepherds for a couple hundred sheep. And they would impose some form of pain and say, hey, we're, we're going to kill you or you know, give us 10 sheep or give us your possessions or we're going to take you out. It was a very common thing. And apparently there had multiple times that David's men had protected Nabal's possessions and his men. His ask is simple. Hey, Nabal, here's the deal, man. You helped, or I helped you out, so will you help me? Man, I protected your guys. I made sure you know your sheep got stolen. I helped you, will you help me? You know, I'd say that's a fair question. I mean, you've been there before. Maybe uh, a friend helped you with the project around the house. And so you get a text or a phone call or you find out they got work going on, you know, a few weeks later. You feel like you want to help them out, right? I mean, they helped you. You want to help them. Uh, this happened actually just recently um, at my house a couple months ago. That night that we got like six or seven inches of rain in like five hours. I don't know if you guys remember that or not. Okay, that was crazy. Okay, so my sump pump was going off, and I go down there. It's like constantly running. I go down there, and it's like about to come out of the like crock basin, right? And I'm freaking out, and uh, we've got a finished basement down there, and so, you know, I'm like trying to figure out what to do. Some pump's not keeping up. I don't have another pump, and so I call up my brother-in-law, Nick, and uh, he lives right down the road like a mile away, and uh, we get the pump. He, he brings it down. He's got a couple of them, and long story short, the basement in a flood, okay, we were good to go, but if it wasn't for Nick, my basement would have had like six feet of water in it. Like, it would have been horrible. It would have been terrible. Um, so he helped me out, right? Well, about a month ago, he started replacing. He sent a text out to all of the uh, you know, relatives and friends and stuff and said, hey, I'm replacing my roof. You guys want to help me out? That'd be great. Um, what if I just would have been like, no, nah, man, uh, no, nah, I'm just going to stay home. That's terrible, right? That's not the right thing to do, all right? No, the right thing is, again, he helped me, I should help him, right? And that's all that David's doing here. He's saying, man, I helped you. Can you feed us? We were kind to you. Would you be kind to us? We didn't steal from you. Would you share with us? And would you just simply return the favor? And he goes on, next couple of verses, and uh, this is Nabal. All right. Nabal asked them, who is David? Who is Jesse's son? Many slaves these days are running away from their masters. Am I supposed to take, listen to, listen to just his, what he says here. 
am I supposed to take my bread, my water, my meat that I butchered for my shears and give them to these men? I don't know where they're, you know, where they're from. I mean, it's, again, this is this he's a prideful dude. It's all about him and what he's got and his possessions. It's all about me, my, I. See, and he knew who David was. He's just playing dumb here. King Saul had spread it throughout the entire land. If anyone had report of David to get back, to, to let me know where he's at so I could get him and take him. The question, who is David, is actually a formal rejection of David's implied imitation. So he knew who David was. And in fact, he even says, you know, he's the son of Jesse. I mean, he knew who he was. It was him just saying, dude, I'm not doing it, right? So next couple of verses here. David's young men, they retrace their steps. Okay, they, they go back to where David is. When they returned to him, they reported all these words. He said to his men, so here we go, ready? All of you, put on your swords. So each man put on a sword, and David also put on his sword. About 400 men followed David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. What does it look like David's about to do? He's about to get what? Revenge, right? He's about to go take him out. I mean, he's, he's ticked off at Nabal. He's ticked off at his men, and he's heated. He's mad. He's about to get even with somebody, here we go, ready, that he doesn't even like. He's about to mess it up. Maybe you can relate to David here. Someone has done you wrong, and in your emotions, you get heated, mad, not clearly thinking, and all you want is vengeance. Man, for what they did to you or what they did to your relative, no, you're not going to get a sword and kill them. I hope not. But you gossip about them. You gossip about them or maybe even say something hurtful to them. Or you try to get them back in some other way. I don't know, but any, you know, different ways. I mean, you guys know how it is. Again, you're fuming hot. You're ticked off because someone's done something to you. And, and maybe you say something or you gossip. And then afterwards, if you're a Christian, hopefully, like conviction hits your heart. And you're like, that was dumb. And what, did, what did I do that for? What was going on? You're like thinking with your emotions. The problem is gossip, trash talk, whatever, hurt somebody even physically. Once it happens, it's done. It's, it's, it's over with. You can go back and say you're sorry, but what has happened has happened. We say something we don't mean. We do something we don't mean. And essentially, essentially we're acting on you know, pure sinful emotion, which is what David's doing here. So, Let's see how this all plays out. We leave David and his men, again, getting ready to annihilate Nabal and his men. And then we have uh, someone that comes along here. And this is, this, is, this is good, all right? So one of Nabal's young men informed Abigail, Nabal's wife. Look, so he goes to Abigail. Look, David sent messengers to the wilderness to greet our master. But he screamed at them. The men treated us very well. Man, these, these, you know, David's guys took care of us. When we were in the field, and we weren't harassed, and nothing of ours was missing the whole time we were living among them. They were, check this out, a wall around us both day and night. The entire time we were with them herding the sheep. Now consider carefully what you should do because there is certain to be trouble for our master and his entire family. He is such a worthless fool, nobody can talk to him. Don't raise your hand, but you guys all know somebody like that, I'm sure, right? Somebody you just can't talk to, okay? That's how Nabal is. You just can't talk to him about anything. Now, thankfully, this unnamed dude, this kid, defends David. See, this kid was there, and he saw how he was, in, Nabal was insulting not just his men, David's men, but also David. 
but he shared with them that there were multiple times when an enemy would try to attack day and night that David's men, they defended his guys, that they took care of them. They didn't let harm happen to them. And so he pleads, hey, Abigail, would you please do something? That's where we pick up next. It says this, Abigail hurried. That's huge. She, she saw how big of a deal it was. She knew, she knew how big of a fool Nabal was. And she knew she had to act quickly. So she does. She takes 200 loaves of bread, two clay jars of wine, five butcher sheep, a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisin, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she said to her male servants, go ahead of me. I will be right behind you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. David, again, he's about to ruin his life. He's about to ruin himself by getting revenge on this guy. But thankfully, again, Abigail, she acts quickly, starts making this food, getting it ready to bring to David. And then smartly, she does not tell Nabal what's going on. And verse number 20 says this, what she does next is she rode the donkey down a mountain pass, hid him from view. She saw David and his men coming toward her and met them. She meets them as she brings the meal to him. She does something that would have been so out of the norm in this culture. And really, let's just get honest, it would have been really weird now. As a rich woman, she bowed down to someone else. Abigail begins to treat David as the man she hoped he would be. She begins to speak to David's potential, and she looks past, really, his plans of revenge. She looks into the future, what God has in store. Listen to what it says. This is a, a big chunk of scripture, but it says this, this. This guilt is mine, my Lord. So she's saying this to David. But please let your servant speak to you directly. Listen to the words of your servant. My Lord should pay no attention to this worthless fool Nabal. That's a tough thing to say about your husband. but For he lives up to his name. His name means stupid, and stupidity is all he knows. She's on a roll. I, your servant, didn't see my Lord's young men whom you sent. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, it is the Lord who kept you from participating in bloodshed and avenging yourself by your own hand. May your enemies and, and those who intend to harm my Lord be like Nabal. Let this gift your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord is certain to make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because he fights the Lord's battles. Throughout your life, may evil not be found in you. Someone is pursuing you and intends to take your life. He's talking about, she's talking about Saul here. My Lord's life, check, this is super cool. Check this out. My Lord's life is tucked safely in the place where the, the Lord, your God, protects the living, but he is flinging away your enemies' light, lives like stones from a sling. When the Lord does for my Lord all the good he promised you and appoints you ruler over Israel, there will not be remorse or a troubled conscience for my Lord because of needless bloodshed or my Lord's revenge. And when the Lord does good things for my Lord, may you remember me, your servant. See, she shifts the focus, again, off of David getting revenge. She kind of leaves that. She's like, man, let God take care of that. Like, let God take care of that. That's, that's on him. She tells him that one day, this will be nothing but a story that you tell. Your life will be nothing but a story that you tell. And what you do in this moment, it might just, it might, it actually really will, it will drastically affect your story. 
She's telling him, man, I, I, think, that, I think you're going to change your mind. I think you're going to have a change of heart. And so she reminds him of some things, if you guys caught it in those verses. Verse number 28, she reminds him of the promise that God has for his life. She says, the Lord is certain to make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. Not just to be king. He's going to be king soon. Not just to be king. But we know this. Jesus comes from the line of David. It is a lasting dynasty that goes on forever. Verse number 29, I'm sure you caught it. We kind of stopped there. But she points back to a time when the Lord protected David as he stood in the face of an enemy named Goliath. She said, he is flinging away your enemy's lives like stones from a sling. She's pointing back to Goliath. And God took care of him, and he's going to take care of your future. He's going to take care of this Nabal issue. She tells him in verse number 31 that uh, he won't have a troubled conscience because he's not going to needlessly kill Nabal and all of his men. And, and honestly, you're going to see it here in a second, David... Dude, he just, he melts. He's like, it, it, conviction, whatever happens, it hits him. And he sees things in a new light. That's what it says. Then David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you to meet me today. May your discernment be blessed and may you be blessed. Today you kept me from participating in bloodshed and avenging myself by my own hand. See, David, he thanks her for coming to him and stopping him from, from getting revenge and getting back at Nabal. And the rest of the story goes on like this. We don't have time to read it, but the rest of the story, uh, David, uh, he returns back to the desert. Abigail returns home to her drunk husband who's throwing this big party. Uh, end of chapter 25 tells us that he is completely wasted drunk. Um, and again, can't talk to drunk. She knows that, so she waits till in the morning. And Abigail tells Nabal what happened in the morning when he's sober. And in verse 37, 38, it says that his heart failed him, and 10 days later, the Lord struck him, and he died. Now, I don't know, man. This is an interesting plot twist that we're going to read in this next verse, okay? So Nabal, he's dead, right? And then this happens. Then David sent messengers to speak to Abigail about marrying him. <laughs> kind of weird. <laughs> I mean, I guess if that works... Um, I think the funnier thing, the funniest thing is how she responds. You look at the verse after 39, like verse 40, 41, 42. Um, she quickly got on a donkey and headed to David to become his wife. That's it. They lived happily ever after the end. Um, you know, they did get married. They, not necessarily happily ever after the end, but they, they did get married. Okay. Now, in the beginning of the message, we said we have three main characters. They have three responses, but there's really only one hero. And so we have our three different characters. We're going to pull them up here. We have Nabal. Terrible dude. No one wants to be like Nabal, okay? No one. He returns evil for good. David took care of his guys and, and sheltered them and kept them from, like, being hurt. And what's his response back to David? Man, I don't care what you've done for me. Yeah, it was good, but I'm going to bring evil. And uh, I'm not going to take care of you, man. Forget it. But then we have David. David, he wants to return evil for evil. He wants to get revenge, which most people back then, that, that was what they would do. He did what was the expected, the normal in that culture. But Abigail, Abigail's different, man. She doesn't return evil for good or evil for evil. She returns good for evil. She's remarkable. She's extraordinary. Now, we don't know a lot about Abigail, 
But what we do have is this story. My question to you is, thinking about Abigail, is, man, what do you want your story to be? Again, no one wants to be Nabal, no one wants to be David. Abigail, man, she is a hero in the story. In fact, we would say this, she's ahead of her time. During this time in history, the nation of Israel was in a covenant relationship with God. In that old covenant, returning evil for evil, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, was actually okay. I mean, think about it. David's response uh, when he tells us, man, let's go, you know, let's go take Nabal out. And his guy's like, yeah, let's grab our swords and pitch forth. Let's go take him out, man. They're ready to get revenge. That was the world that they lived in. But Abigail, she's ahead of her time. See, she lives out a verse that Peter would share to first century believers in 1 Peter chapter 3. These believers are being mistreated. They were being unjustly treated. Now remember, Peter is one of the disciples. He you know, saw Jesus as he did life, as he's being crucified, and you know, he's, how he's treated harshly, how he's treated unjustly by others. He saw Jesus' response, and he wrote these words to Christians who are being harshly and unjustly treated by non-believers. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter writes this down, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, check this out, ready? Giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And let him turn away from evil and do what is good. And again, Peter's writing this to a group of Christians that were struggling, they were being mistreated, and they wanted to get people back. And, and he's saying, no, man, you can't. <clears throat> you have to return good for evil. And that's what Abigail's doing. She's living out verse number nine, way before it was even written. And even Jesus in his own words, Matthew 5, 43 and 44, you guys know these verses, it says this, you've heard it said, you heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, refusing to respond in like kind, that might be the most Christ-like thing that you could do your entire life. In closing, a few questions that you can write down just to think about. Um, when you're wanting to get revenge on somebody, maybe you know, it's just something that's on your heart even now. Three questions. Talk about this at the beginning, but do you really want to be like someone that you don't even like? I mean, we would all say no. We, we don't want that. Second question. We talked about it a few times today, but what story do you want to tell? And do you want your story to be like almost how David's was? That, man, when somebody did me wrong, I always got them back. I've, I've heard people say that, and I don't know, what, you know what's up with that, right? Man, as a Christian, what's Peter say? That's not where you're called to. You're called to be a blessing when you get hurt. You're called to be a blessing to people when they gossip about you. It's hard. It's tough. You don't want to be the person that, my story, I don't want my story to be, you know, AJ, he was a dude that always got the upper hand on people. Man, people did him wrong, but he always got him back. Not what we're called to be as Christians. Now, if you're a Christian, this next one, I'm going to tell you it's tough, but it's basic Christian living 101. What would it look like for you to return good for evil? Maybe you've got something you're thinking about right now. Someone's done you wrong, and you're trying to think, 
you know, you're thinking, man, this, you want to get revenge, whatever. Man, my question to you is, again, as a believer, what would it look like for you to return good to that person? Or as Peter shares, what would it look like, I like the word that you use, he says, to bless someone that's hurt you. I mean, think about it. It's first century Christians, and these guys were getting martyred, they are getting beaten, and he's telling them to bless, hey, church, bless those people. To be proactive, not to do nothing, bless them. Do something they don't deserve. And maybe you're like, AJ, listen, dude, you don't get it, you don't understand. They did this to me, and I, I just, I won't get them back, but I'm just gonna do nothing. That's not what I'm talking about. That's, that's mercy. Mercy is knowing that you should exercise some form of revenge or whatever and not doing it, just not doing anything. I'm not talking about that. I think that's probably what most of us do when someone does us wrong. We just kind of don't do anything. That's showing mercy. We're not talking about that. What Peter's telling us and what Jesus is telling us, as a Christian, we are called to do something. We are called to do something then they don't deserve. That's grace. We're called to show grace, not just mercy, but grace. What does that look like? I don't, pray for them, encourage them. I don't know, bless them physically, treat them better than they treat you, definitely. There's a list of different things that we could put there. This all comes full circle back to the gospel. See, this is how our life and our life story, it can intersect with the gospel. When someone has wronged us, we don't just show mercy, but show and live out grace to them. And ultimately, that's out of this world. That, that thinking, that concept, the, the, the mindset of most people is get even. So this mindset is out of this world, right? It points people to the cross and what Jesus did for you. As Christians, we get that the cross is the greatest display of grace in all human history. And Peter tells us this, basic Christian living 101. This is your calling, man. This is your calling to show grace, to bless others so that in hopes that they would inherit the blessing of eternal life. So you're turning good for evil. That's not the norm in our culture. We understand that. The normal is, again, get even with that person. But what does that show that person? Or what does that show really the world that's watching? It shows there's no difference. If you just want to get even with somebody, it shows there's no difference between you and them. See, when we return good for evil, it puts God on display and what he did for us and the change that he made in our life. I mean, let's be honest. None of us desert a forgiven, free relationship, eternal, you know, eternal relationship with Christ. We got what we didn't deserve. If you're a believer, man, you, you got what you didn't deserve. You did not deserve forgiveness. You didn't deserve a relationship with Jesus. Man, you got what you didn't deserve. And we should be willing to pass that down to every single person, including those that have wronged us. We show grace, it shows that Jesus has come in and that he's made a lasting change. And he's called us from who we were to who he wants us to be. So in closing tonight, don't, or this morning, don't settle for getting even. Man, do something remarkable. Be an Abigail. Remember, your life story will say something to the people that are in it. What do you want to say? That you always got even? Or that you constantly, continuously, though you were done wrong, showed grace. Do precisely for others what they don't deserve. When you do, you're like your Father in heaven. Let's pray. God, thanks for letting us just sit down for a little while and walk through this incredible story 
Abigail and God, how you used her to stop this terrible plot of revenge from happening. God, thank you for letting us just, again, learn from your word today. I pray that you would maybe help us. I don't know, you know, maybe someone in here, they're struggling with revenge. Uh, I'd like to think that probably most of us are. We, we probably have that going on. And so I pray you'd help us to get victory over that today. God, I pray that our story as, as Grace Community Church believers, God, I pray that our story would be a good one to tell, that people outside of this place, God, they would know that we're believers based off of how we treat others and how we show grace to them. God, we ask you to be with us this week. Helps to honor you, work, family, and everything we pray. In Christ's name, amen. All right, church. We'll